Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars this week on inside supercars we catch up with all the news from the gold coast 600 silly season and a whole bunch more hello i'm greg Ravel. this week joining me to talk about all that and more from auto action lewis isaacs good evening lewis good evening craig how are you I'm, uh, well, not travelling the best, as you can tell by my voice. Ben Beasley from BAM Media. It looks like you guys are going to be doing the carrying the weight of most of this show. That's okay, Barry White uh, there, Craig Lavelle. Yes. Uh, well, what I am um, talking about, you know, miraculous comebacks like Barry White has had over, or had over his career. James Courtney's win, Lewis, on Sunday. Uh, I still have to say, I thought, he would have been better putting himself on ice for the rest of the year. And I, like a lot of people, were proved very, very wrong. Yeah, it was a, a remarkable story, you know, from what he'd come back from. And and you hear about the recovery and the things he was doing and, you know, sleeping, standing up and everything like that. So it's um, it's pretty impressive that he was even able to mentally get behind the wheel. And, and you could tell after the first session that he wasn't too right. But I guess he's the kind of person that can brush that aside. And it's a full credit to... um team at HRT because they probably weren't the fastest car on track that day. I think that, that's pretty clear, but, you know, he, he he was quick when he needed to be and um, they had all the brain power to kind of get the job done. And that's so often we see that in motorsport, don't we, Ben? It, you don't have to be the fastest car throughout the weekend or even on the day. You just have to be the, the car at the front of the field when it matters. Quite competitive on Saturday, and obviously went toe to toe with his teammate and Garth Tander. So they were, they were, you know, well inside, you know, the top group of cars come the races. When he, what he did to win the race, and really Rick Kelly was the other guy who mirrored exactly what he did. I guess a lot of teams, as well as you know, congratulations to, to James for, for his efforts on the weekend and winning in the team. But why they were the only two who really went that strategy. I think a lot of other teams need to have a, a bit of a look at a look at that. But um, he, as opposed to some other drivers, he was given a number to drive to. They said he saved something like 10% of fuel per lap. That's that's impressive. And uh, he he did exactly what he was t- told in terms of hitting that number. But also, he, he didn't get into any battles that um, took away the focus from that. So then, as everybody started to shuffle down and he went to the front, you know, credit to him because he did a fantastic job and well deserved and also for Jack Perkins as well. It was a, it was a bit of a fairy style to- uh, story for both those guys. As I was watching the end of that race Lewis, I was thinking back we, when we got into a fuel economy run to uh, Abu Dhabi and the battle that um, James Courtney and Jason Bright had where they both had rolled the dice on fuel and they were still able to have a a fascinating battle. In this case, you were just seeing he was rolling the dice to see how far he could go. Yeah, I think someone like Rick behind him too kind of, uh, you know, his little charge towards the end kind of added that excitement because 
James really was the great unknown. There was no battle for him per se at the front. He was just on his own, as Ben said, driving to the number. But when Rick started taking, you know, chunks of time out of him, you wondered what he was going to do, whether he would have to up the pace and, you know, kind of risk that um, economy run on, and whether Rick, you know, had it in him as well. So it was kind of fascinating, even though they, they weren't really near each other on the track. Mm. They also seemed to have enough fuel. James did not only to finish the race, complete the cool-down lap, but do a burnout in between. So Yeah, as soon as he pulled up, you wondered if he, that was it, you know, but he was just getting out there to celebrate. So kudos to him. Mm. And for Jack Perkins, he's been a, a bit of a journeyman, Ben, but, you know, a real, really uh, an interesting an interesting guy in his own right and um, the added pressure is never easy when you've got a name that is already synonymous with success. Yeah, I think he's dealt with it very good and, and, and really now forged his own name and career. And don't forget, you know, he was thrust into that car during the Eastern Creek weekend, uh, Sydney Motorsport Park, when the accident happened that uh, occurred to James, and then from that point forward, then through Sandown and Bathurst, he was really the lead guy. So coming into uh, the Gold Coast, uh, he was probably had, had more than enough miles compared to a lot of the other co-drivers, so it was a good situation for him, and a really nice reward for him personally to get the win, but also for the, for the effort and, and the job he's done with that team over the past two months as well, really filling in, stepping up, and, and taking the opportunity. Yeah, Cinderella story ended the weekend, but Lewis, uh, it was interesting that the gear's getting his first win of the year, and yeah, that on that. Saturday was big. I think that was more um, Jonathan Webb's foundation, if you if you recall. He had a 10-second gap before he handed the car to Shane, and from there he could just kind of manage the race. He um, Shane stopped later than everyone else to put the softs on, so his tyres were fresher if anything happened, and um, you know Webb was just unbelievable before that, and you know, you look at the year as it is and, and how quick Shane's been and for for everyone to wait this long to see him win is um, a little bit strange, but it was a good result for him. And I thought on Saturday in particular, the co-drivers, a lot of them were excellent. You know, there was no safety cars until, you know, late in the race, so they all did their thing together. Um, Alex Davison, I thought, was great during that Saturday race too. He really picked his way through the field, but you have to hand it to Webb and Van Gisbergen for being the two quickest guys out there. Yeah, and it was pure pace, Ben. It was, and even to the point when you had a look at that first round of pit stops, that as soon as the, the window opened for the co-drivers to do their minimum laps, interestingly, they stayed out another couple of laps. And that, go, and that was confidence in Jonathan's pace and also gave them the ability to come down a pit lane more or less all by themselves. They didn't have any congestion, which obviously proved a big drama for especially pro-drive and, and Winterbottom, but they, could, they controlled things and they did that and then... And like Lewis said, they also waited again towards the end to put the soft tyre on. So they had more than enough fuel. They had the tyre the tire, the tire life to, to fight when they needed to fight. And the fact was they didn't need to fight. So uh, it was a really fine effort from uh, everyone involved in that team. Obviously, they put the car up, up front as well in qualifying. And um, if there was a, a plan to their race strategy going in, it just ticked all the boxes all the way along. I don't think they had to make any adjustments whatsoever. Mm. Well, we've spoken about the winners, who are, of course, always grinners in this situation. After the break, we'll have a, well, we'll have a look at the less than successful weekends for some. This is Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bolt Radio Facebook page. 
Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two lovers to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with uh, Lewis Isaacs and Ben Beasley. And uh, Ben, Red, Red Bull Racing seem to have their moments, but for performance racing, just one car, which of course was hastily changed from Bathurst Beck to uh, Gold Coast Beck, Never seemed to get out and fire a shot all weekend in the uh, silver livery. And the other car got into a uh, terrible mess when they were released from the pits too soon and put a real speed hump in Frosty's run for the championship. Yeah, um, on that side of the garage, not a lot of highlights. The, the, the green car in Reynolds got, in, got himself up there for a podium on Saturday with Dean Canto, but... Um, yeah, Winterbottom qualified okay, but um, even even with the incident on Saturday, he said on Sunday they just really didn't have the pace throughout the weekend. They they did battle. The the incident on Saturday coming out in in a crowded pit lane really um, was was uh, just a disaster for them. Um, lucky to finish the race. Um, lucky that uh, crew members from Red Bull Racing weren't. Seriously injured. I mean, they got a bump, but um, that that could have been a whole lot worse. It, uh, the the crowded pit lane, uh, also towards the pit exit of that place, really does narrow up for when where the, those those cars and also the HRT cars have to come out. Um, you know, again, I think if you had a look back at what the the techno guys did, they pitted two laps later. They gave themselves a clear pit lane. There's times when, of course, you want to perform the undercut, but if everybody's doing the same thing there's no real advantage to be gained. And especially when you're the championship leader and maybe coming a lap later, you probably may have lost one or two places based on time. But if the pit lane was congested anyway, you'd argue that the pit lane congestion can um, uh, give you an, a disadvantage of, of seconds and not just tenths of seconds. So um, that really wasn't very clever all round there you know just they literally just sent him out and um put him in the middle of it and um to make contact i'm i'm not really sure how they didn't see that there was not just um the hrt car but also their teammate car was also in the lane as well so um not not very good strategy not very good um execution all the above and i think they're the first guys to admit that obviously but um all round, the, the number six car as well, the uh, with the Back to the Future livery, really um, struggled. They, I was trying to even remember in my head, you know, if, if Cameron Waters, not only he obviously hasn't been the lead, lead driver in terms of that situation before, but also working with the soft tyre as well. Had very little experience on that in the Dunlop series. They run maybe once or twice on a soft tyre, so he's never had that. And there's always a big difference to what they say with the co-drivers because they're usually so used to practicing on really old tyres, all that sort of stuff. 
that when they get into the races, only the you know even at Bathurst in those races, sometimes they don't even get to experience brand new tyres in those races. Added on top of that, he had to uh, qualify on brand new hard tyres, which was uh, clearly a bit of a battle, and then he had to get his head around a soft tyre as well. So once he'd done all that, uh, clearly they you know they they really didn't get a handle on the car, him or him or him and Russell. And that's where they were. Uh, fortunately, they finished and they didn't get too much beating around in the races, but they didn't finish very high. Didn't really um, give them give any assistance to the number five car either. And uh, going forward, that's probably going to be a real critical thing for them to make sure that that number six car in the, in the final three races of the season is, is really competitive and, and can play a role, to not only in the races, but obviously during practice when they try to aim for, for the window where they want to get their cars into to, to be quick on a weekend. Lewis, your take on FBR? Yeah, I, it seemed like a, a vintage kind of performance, didn't it? You know, we used to see all sorts of issues from their own pit stops with the wheel nuts and everything else from a couple of years ago. So it was strange that it happened again. And and the thing that's kind of characterised Winterbottom's season this year is that he still maximised opportunities during those bad weekends. Like we saw it at Bathurst when he was nowhere and ends up P2, whereas this time around, you know, he was literally nowhere. It was um, not, not a great performance from from that side of the garage, and he lost nearly 150 points to Lowndes, which doesn't, well, it sounds like a lot, but he's still got a good lead, but, you know, I'm sure he's thinking about that quite a bit, because once Chaz went down, you know, he basically, well, everyone assumed he had the title in the bag, and all of a sudden there's a fight on again, and uh, car, car six, you know, like that's, an, that's a very old chassis from that team, it's one of the original, or if not the first car of the future ones they built, and um, apparently it's still a bit weighty compared to, you know, the current spec one, so they reckon they lost a bit of time in that, but yeah, I think Ben kind of nailed it when he said Waters' is inexperience on, you know, those kind of variables like tyres probably hurt him more than anything. And, you know, for a guy who's, you know, essentially in at that team next year, you have to wonder why they're taking that approach when someone like David Reynolds is already up to speed with everything and, and Cam, as good as he is, is still kind of an, an unknown quantity. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about the silly season later in, in the show. BJR, Lewis, just once again looked like they were going to set the world on fire at times and only set themselves. Yeah, a bit more friendly fire from those boys isn't, you know, isn't the best thing I guess Brad and Kim have ever seen. And I think for someone like Coulthard, it's a shame that he's not getting the farewell he kind of uh, deserved at that team because he's played a pretty large role over the, the last couple of years with them and propelling them forward and, and really being their main guy. And those guys, they're... Um, you know, they, they used to kind of be quite fast on the soft tyres and then they'd be interesting around street tracks, but but right now it's, it's very hard to get a read on, on where they actually are. Ben, what's your take? Is is this just, you know, a couple of cars just rounding out the laps till the end of the year? Yeah, you'd, not, you'd like to think not, and, you know, maybe that's a, um, a point to be looked at, you know, next week in New Zealand, really where everybody's true pace is. Once you get back to single drivers, so the focus is all on one guy, his setup, all that sort of thing. I think in a lot of those situations, again, um, as Lewis pointed out earlier, it was the performance of the co-drivers as well. So, you know, sometimes, um, you know, the co-drivers really need to set up the platform to give the main guy... Um, the opportunity to to go forward or, or maintain position, but um, sometimes those guys just I, I think the the strength of um, the teams that have been up front throughout the um, 
the endurance season is, is a credit to the co-drivers as much as, as the main guys as well. And, um, yeah, BJR just really didn't fire at, at all in, in, in that sense as well. You know, they yes, they had some, you know, there was contact with Bright and stuff like that, with other, you know, and but that comes from not being far enough up at the end of the day. And um, even to the point, uh, I think if you look at Bathurst, where, especially where Lowndes started and even Tander started, um, the race, they keep out of trouble, they make their way forward in a, in a, in a sensible way as much as anything and not, not try to make up 10 positions in the first lap. And, and then that's when the results tend to come. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, you're not really sure if the guys are just um, more desperate than, than trying to get something out of the car, but uh, it's just hard that when you, you do walk down that pit lane at the end of the weekend and you see the cars with the scars, it's pretty obvious where they were when they started and where they were battling. Mm. And interesting, you raised the Bathurst question, because really, Fabian Coulthard's move on David Reynolds at that last restart is what gave Garth Tander a podium. That bang and crash into Turn 1 on yep. the um, green. Yep, that's right, that's right. And um, uh, yeah. so, and and moved a lot of other guys up as well, you know. And it took out, you know, it, it seems to be probably more so at that race. There's always a... Um, somebody in that final stint who sort of takes care of themselves all day, and then they, they get they get whacked. And it tends to be at um, in the last few years at um, at Hell Corner there because it was Lowndes on on Winterbottom last year who who pushed him or pushed him on the exit, and he spun around, and that gave uh, Moss the opportunity to go forward. And yeah, like you said, this time Tanda was there on the spot, and he Tanda was you know. Um, exceptional and that last part of Bathurst he took every opportunity and and he seems to be one of those guys that when he's going to come uh, he's not going to fake the move he's coming through I think a lot of guys you know sometimes uh, uh, see that as a bit of respect and give him a bit more room than some other drivers out there but uh, on the weekend uh, you know you looked at it and uh, Tander and Luff came away with the Endurance Cup with um you know, podium. Oh, they fourth fourth place at Sandown, but then podiums from there on in. You know, that really paved the way for for them having a very consistent and and well done again to the co-driver again and Warren Luff in, in doing a great job. And Lewis, that is the big thing. The Pertec Cup this year came to a to a team that didn't have a win, but showed remarkable consistency. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. You know, we had winner bottom who was, you know, I think his average is one and a half across the first two endurance rounds. And then one bad weekend, and he's, again, he's nowhere. So it was um, it was pretty telling for uh, for Tander and, and Luff. And you look at Luff, and he won the first Enduro Cup with Craig and, you know, wasn't given a gig, you know, with, with the same team the year after. And then he's gone and done it again with Tander. And, and as we touched on before, it's, it's probably not the fastest car out there. It's still quite quick and one of the better ones, but it's not the best. But these boys were consistent, and... I think watching someone like Tanner race, it's still um, he's still one of the best guys at moving through the field, and, and that kind of showed because Luff handed him the car in a decent position, and you know it was all all held together pretty well, and Tanner just did the rest. Mm. And you know you, there was hard in your mouth stuff in that HRT garage on Saturday too, Ben. When the once again Courtney, who was trying to prove a point, and Garth, who was just going, "I'm doing my business," were rubbing door panels once again. Yeah, and certainly straight after the race, um, Adrian Burgess and and also Ryan Walkinshaw took them out the back and gave them a bit of a reminder as well. 
they both sort of said afterwards that it was all fair, hard racing, but um, it was obviously pretty nervous times inside the, the HRT garage. But, um, you know, there's two guys out there wanting to prove probably to themselves, to everybody out there, including the team and their, their fellow competitors, that they're hard racers and, you know, that um, they're not to be messed with. And uh, the guy you don't want to mess with is your teammate and vice versa. And that's what they, they got on with. Yeah, it's certainly been an interesting, uh, well, dynamic this year, I think, is the safe way to uh, describe it. Look, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but on the other side, the Gold Coast event, it seems to be getting bigger and even better, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Ben Beasley and Lewis Isaacson. And Ben, of course, uh, you involved with BAM Media for a long time. We're uh, um, working as the PR uh, arm of the Gold Coast event uh, through the IndyCar days into the uh, failed A1GP days. And uh, I'm not sure if... They never turned up. Yeah, that's right. But I'm not sure if you were involved then with the, uh, which I think Bam Media was involved with the uh, the start of the the V8 era at uh, the Gold Coast 600. But uh, I I am interested in your opinion of this weekend's event, knowing that you've been on the inside and this year you weren't. Um. Yeah. It was it was a good event. Um. Uh. I. From a personal point of view, I don't think it has the magic that it had when the IndyCars were here. That was the international element that had all all of the pizzazz and appeal, I believe. Um, the, the V8 event has really stepped up and done a great job there. Um, and, and the racing is always hard and, 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 uh, and, and entertaining. I think the addition of the, of the stadium trucks this year has really added something. Um, you know, they were excellent in Adelaide and they were excellent again up there. They, um, those guys um, leave nothing on the table. Uh, and it's quite amazing not to see some internet, some of the guys, such as even Matthew Bravham, um, pulling off some incredible uh, jumps and moves and how he kept that thing mostly on four wheels was quite amazing. That was the good entertainment side. You had you know some other good racing there. And then the V8s just... Uh, Really, really do cap it off. It's good that they're good long races. You know, obviously the V8 when the Indy cars were still around, we never that had that much um, uh, track time. But now it's really about them. You know, it, it is a hard event and it should be a hard event. And, and the rewards are there for those who, you know, want to take risks, whether it's um, drive, you know, driving hard or or chasing a fuel economy. So, I think the nice thing was that you got a race, on, especially on Sunday, which you didn't really know until you know Courtney really crossed the line that it was, uh, you know that was going to be the winner. So that, that was good from all those perspectives. And, and 
Lewis, um, the crowd number's up. The V8 supercars trying to get a long-term contract. Obviously, this all bodes well because we have got other major sporting events coming to uh, Queensland in the uh, foreseeable future that's going to be calling on government money. Yeah, well, this is part of the deal with the Queensland government that involves uh, Queensland Raceways Round and uh, Townsville as well. But this was a, a massive event for the sport. And to have that concert as well, I think, kind of added quite a bit of value because, you know, V8 Supercars in that unique position where, as a spectator sport, the track opens at 8 o'clock and can go till, you know, 7 in the evening sometimes. So it's quite long days. And that's, you know, one of the unique selling points. It's really not taken advantage of too well sometimes. And... Uh, at the Gold Coast, the crowd was massive, you know. It was kind of a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes to walk between the media centre and the paddock because there was just so many people going on there. And, um, yeah, as Ben said, the stadium super trucks, they added quite a lot this weekend. It was um, some of the most entertaining racing scenes since Clipsal. But the race itself was good. And uh, if you recall, on Friday, a few of the drivers were talking about the um, the tyre bundles and curb centres and everything else. And, and for the most part, that seemed to resolve itself over the weekend too, which was a bonus because... It's awful to see those kind of decisions affect racing and uh, you know, perhaps for the first time in a while they really got it right. And, and Ben, we didn't see cars spearing into the fence and that's also a critical pass. No, I, I think, um, I mean really, <laughs> the biggest carnage event was the last time they had all the international co-drivers there and um, you know, even you know, you got guys back there like Sebastian Bourdais, Alex Buncombe and, and also Oliver Gavin who raced overseas, but they hold you know, a lot of respect for the guys and the teams and the equipment um, that uh, they uh, didn't want to <laughs> make too much uh, work for, for, the, for the crews and that. You know, it doesn't take long for cars to come back with the scrapes along the side and, you know, plenty of front bumpers uh, won't be seeing another round again, you know, as they clip the tyre bundles through the chicane. But, uh, you know, all in all, I think uh, the cars have probably also got a lot stronger overall <laughs> of uh, how they can withstand some of that punishment. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where the government lands with their support of this event. I can't see them cutting it, Ben. I don't think so. I think it's part, it's it's got you know it's over twenty five years history now, so it's a mainstay event. It's it's one of the biggest um, annual sporting events in Queensland and and sport with lots of people that come from interstate, um, overseas, that sort of thing as well. So I mean, they they do things very well in Queensland in terms of packaging up a race, entertainment, accommodation, and then the, all the other things that the Gold Coast has to offer in terms of, you know, theme parks and the rest. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good event to go to for all those sort of things. You know, the best races are the ones that you really do call events, and, and you'd have to say Clipsal's a great one. That's a, that's a really good one. You know, Bathurst is, is, is you know, the greatest, one of the, is the greatest motorsport event in this country. And, and, and one of the great sporting events in this country. So, you know, once you've, you've got those really big marquee events, you know, a lot of the other events have, have sort of started to come in line. Um, but the Gold Coast is just, it's easy, like, uh, for us, go up there, we actually stay in Broadbeach, and now the addition of that light rail in the last couple of years has made moving people in and out so much easier, so much more convenient, and uh, people don't feel like they have to stay in the middle of the race anymore. They can stay further along the coast and still get into the race each day. Mm. Well, still to come on Inside Supercars, we're going to talk the silly season, but a break 
and then something perhaps a little bit more light-hearted next. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bort Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Lewis Isaacs and Ben Beasley. And Ben, for this event, of course, it was in and around the... uh, Back to the Future Day, as they call it, the day that uh, in Back to the Future 2 they went forward in time and and, uh, made some predictions about how the world might be. Uh, Certainly, Bam Media were commissioned to do a video for Ford Performance Racing and Pepsi Max, and uh, it's pretty safe to say it was a very successful viral video. Yeah, it was was a lot of fun, and also it wasn't something that was done in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, there was 12 months of planning involved with that, involving um, with Pepsi um, and also Universal and even Amblin Entertainment, which is the um, which is Spielberg's company. And um, the full credit really must go to Pete Travaskas from the race team because um, he worked on the concept in the beginning and then really made everybody embrace it. And, and I think that was the key, that everybody embrace the concept of what what was going to happen. It wasn't just all about the video, it was about the car, you know, all the props, um, some some poor acting and some terrific acting combined in the video. Um, Tim Edwards was the real standout and, and was a surprise to us how good he was as a, an actor um, to play the doc. That was, a, was It was a really good fun period and um, it also created a, a bit of a challenge because the, the first, we, we shot it over three nights and... Uh, the original plan was to shoot all three segments of the video well prior to, to Bathurst. But um, the, the program for the Harvey Norman Supergirl came in and that took away what was the spare car, which has now become the race car, from um, what was going to be used So um, just for the, for the video component. So um, the final night's shooting, which involved the unveiling of the car was all done on the Friday after Bathurst with the truck being packed, uh, well, leaving on the Saturday morning to head to the Gold Coast. So, And uh, we had the curveball thrown in there that um, Chaz Mostert was not going to be available for the end of the, um, the shoot. So we had to um, consider how the, the video was going to finish. And the great thing was that um, um, out of such a bad situation with what happened to Chaz Mostert at Bathurst, we were able to create a new ending which um, really made the whole thing even more light-hearted and fun and uh, I can tell you that to change something at that stage uh, to go through all the processes of the approvals through Pepsi and also Universal and Amblin um, it took a lot of people to um, first of all agree that that was what had to happen and we couldn't um, just say that Chaz drove off in the car at the end we had to have something change at the end and, and keep it current and uh, it was all very, very good, and um, the production, we wanted to have it as a high-standard production, so we were involved with um, also another company called Axis Films, who um, 
came in and we co co-produced it and uh, direct and um, uh, had a director of photography and cameraman and a guy called Matthew Romanus and uh, it allowed everybody to do their role. So um, you know the team they built the gullwing doors, which um, I think that was a real sign of how the guys within the team really embraced it as well. Um, uh, the idea that we were going to have you know doors that could open in a gullwing style, but then there was certain limitations on that because we couldn't you know um, cut into the race car at all. So they were they were, they were basically a bolt-on item. But they still worked, and um, the guys you know made the doors not just function but function perfectly. So there was that. There was all the car that had to be redone. Um, there was a lot of other material that comes in and around all these things, and uh, to get it all together and then see the result was was really pleasing. And 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 really within Australia, I think it was one of the it was lots of Back to the Future things happening on that day. But I think that one was certainly not just in the motorsport sense, but I think from what everybody did in this country, I think it was probably one of the best. Uh, I didn't ask you beforehand, Lewis, but did you have any questions of Ben about the video? Oh, my, my question beforehand would have been about Russell and when he got the call up, but uh turns out it was like as late minute as um as the actual drive, so that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah, so we we didn't know about that until late Tuesday, um, where we we were told that there would be another driver um, driving the car, clearly, but at that stage we hadn't even necessarily planned to have that other driver involved in the production. Then when once we found that out on late Tuesday, there was a discussion of, we should integrate this person um, and that person being Russell and when was that all going to happen and um, so he more or less got told that there was a video on the side of what was going on and he came in for a speech sitting on Friday and got told to hang around for another couple of hours on top of that to finish off the video. And of course he's uh, come down from Queensland for this. Yeah well he had to come down for a speech sitting and to meet the team anyway so he was doing that on the Friday um, and uh, as it turned out, that was going to be when we were shooting. The other, the other thing was that everything had to be shot in the evening because that was the, you know, the, the theme of the film was that uh, as it starts, you know, they were watching the film as the sun went down, and so you know we couldn't create darkness outside the race shop. So in, in Melbourne at this time of year, it wasn't dark enough until after nine o'clock. So to finish the movie, to finish all that shooting, uh, concluded at about two thirty a.m. Saturday morning. Um, with all the bits and pieces, so uh, yeah, it was a it was a big effort, really big effort. At any point, like when Chaz had his accident, was there any point where you were thinking that this will never see the light of day? Um, I guess it, it was a consideration at one stage, but um, as long as uh, first and foremost Chaz was okay, and that was probably the, that was the in the whole process of what happened at Bathurst, it got to the end of Bathurst before people went, oh, no, what's, what, are, what are we doing with the Back to the Future thing? And so the Pepsi and, and Universal were still very keen to sort of go ahead. So um, everything was lined up. I mean, uh, as I said, it wasn't just the video. It was also the preparation of the car. Um, the car had to be wrapped and all that sort of stuff. All that stuff was done and just waiting for a car to come back to be done. So in... In some ways, if the car, if they kind of cancelled that and said we need to turn that into a Pepsi Max car, there might have been a bigger effort required to get that car in, in its livery because we were always coming from. Oh well, as it turned out, it was always going to come. It had to come from the um, 
the, the Harvey Norman car. So to change that um, to a Pepsi car might have been a little bit more difficult because just simply because all those things weren't prepared for. So um, everyone, again, um, did the right, you know, not just everyone wanted to go ahead with the program. And I think also within the team, you know, they, they, they wanted to do it um, to uh, not just all the work they put in as well. So it was just full steam ahead. Um, we just had to work out how we were going to change the video at the end and then that was all approved and, and off we went. So, uh, But I can tell you such things as concepts and all that sort of stuff had to be approved months ago because of the level of, of planning that is required and the level of approvals and dealing with people not just in Australia but also North America. Um, you know, it, uh, it, we really couldn't, once we had, the, the, the big work was done probably with the concept. And once the concept was all approved and everyone was happy with that, then we could get on with it. Mm. There, there was not enough room to start shooting and then people say, no, I, I want to change my mind here totally. There was, there was never that opportunity. Mm. Petra Vasquez has had a big year starting the season on the uh, Navy boat and now uh, uh, towards the end of the year with this little effort, it's uh, been quite impressive. He's done a great job. And the last month, especially the amount of pressure he's um, had to deal with. You know, he's got a guy in a championship winning position. Um, he also had to deal with David Reynolds' comments on the, on the first day at Bathurst and um, and then the Chaz accident as well. And, I, I, you know, from a personal point of view, it was very pleasing to see that um, this whole concept that he's come together with for the Back to the Future, you know, was really not only embraced but came together so well and, and, the, ex- and the execution was excellent. Mm. Well, we'll take a break here on Inside Supercars and talk about Silly Season next. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsdale family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Lewis Isaacs, Ben Beasley. Lewis, silly season. Uh, we got a few more pieces of the puzzle put in place over the course of the weekend, and straight after the weekend, Moff announced to go to Volvo. Um, it's really starting to take shape, the grid, for next year. Yeah, it was always going to be the case, I think, that when one kind of domino fell, the rest were going to follow. And, um, you know, we were going to Techno. It was quite a big move, but not entirely unexpected. You know, they had a, that, that rare kind of um, opportunity where it's quite a good car, and then they were spoiled for choice, really, because once Cool Tide was out of the picture, they had to choose between Will, Davey Reynolds, uh, Tim Slade, and, uh, you know, whoever else was available at the time, you know. And I think once that kind of happened, then... You know, Moffat ended up at Volvo, and that's a great deal for him too. It's, it's obviously still quite a quick car, even if it hasn't proved to be as reliable this year. And and it's a chance for him to really put himself up against a driver like Scott McLaughlin, who's really kind of, well, he's, he's absolutely hosed his teammates for the last few years. So that dynamic's going to be interesting to watch next year. But for me, I think, you know, the unlucky one looks like it's going to be Davey Reynolds. And 
for a guy who's fighting for second in the championship, it's uh, it says a lot about the sport that he's kind of not figuring with any of the uh, the front running teams right now because he is a good driver. There are still, well, there you know there was talk a couple of weeks ago that there were competitive seats available, and all of a sudden he's gone from being first on a lot of lists to uh, to not at all, and you have to wonder what's going on there. Ben, you mentioned before the comments he made at Bathurst. That's really dented him because he was about to resign with um, Pro Drive Racing Australia, and now it looks like he's not got a future there in in a permanent sense. It's really hard to know where David will end up. Um, you know, I'd even heard comments that he might be in the super black car. In in many sense, in many respects, that makes a lot of sense because. Um, He's within the ProDrive organisation. He's fast. I'm sure that um, they'd love four cars truly competitive next year, not just three. And um, maybe that's that's a place where, you know, he could fit. There's also the fact, I guess, that when you're in such a competitive team, or such a strong team, that every other drive looks unsuitable to you. So when you do get an offer to go, or you, you had an opportunity to go to BJR or something like that, you go... Uh, no, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm doing the job here. Surely I've got a future here. And he also probably feels in his own mind that, you know, he, he's done the yards with the team. And now that the team has got success, you know, that he should be rewarded with the drive there. But it's it's commercial decisions. It, it's it's apparent that um, the, the 55 car needs some extra funding to come with it. And, um, you know, uh, Cameron Waters if it's the NZ backing or some other backing that he also has there. Um, you know, Cameron's a great driver. Um, is he better than David Reynolds? At this stage, you'd say no, but the team don't want to lose Cameron from underneath their, their, their grasp as well. So it's, it's, it's hard to know what's going to happen. Whatever we think is happening right now, by the time we have a phone call in, in February at uh, Clipsville, we might be looking back and saying, remember when we thought this was going to happen or that going to happen. So there's still a lot of things to, to, to roll out, but it just does seem incredible that the guy who's fighting for second in the championship um, might be out of a gig. Mm. Uh, yeah, and not by choice. We've seen guys retire uh, after finishing high in the um, championship but not, not being cast aside, as it were. And that leaves... Uh, an interesting position. Brad Jones Racing, we think Jason Bright's going to go on. But where's Dale Wood in this picture, Lewis? Oh, the conventional wisdom has him, you know, in, in pretty much every available seat right now because he's another driver that brings considerable backing and, you know, next year will be his third full-time se- season in the sport if he manages to uh, to stick around. But, um, you know, there are a couple of logical places for him. He's got a connection at Nissan because he drove for the Kelly team before, and he was a, uh, an enduro driver at one stage as well there. Um, LDM, you know, no one quite understands what's going on with the second car there and, and how that's going to be funded, so there's definitely an opportunity there right now. But, you know, perhaps he could stay at BJR. It's not a bad car. He's, he knows the team well, and, uh, you know, I think on the Saturday he was 11th with Macaulay Jones, so there's plenty of potential there. He's just got to kind of find that consistency. And, uh, and of course, we all believe that Tim Slade's a lock for the Freightliner car, Ben. It would, it would appear that way. Um, they haven't announced it, but in the same instance, the team hasn't come out and, and denied it. <laughs> so, um, 
I guess people within the sport know that that's what um, is going to happen. And if it wasn't going to happen, you'd still hear the name David Reynolds, you know, shifting into that car as, a, as, as one of his, like, you know, options. The fact is that people aren't saying that anymore and the team aren't denying that, then, then that's uh, clearly down to what's going on. Yeah, it's it's going to be uh, an interesting couple more weeks as we head towards Sydney and, and really find that lineup because with 26 cars locked in and still no one like whilst the licenses are locked in, the garages and the and the, uh, the even the structure of teams are still so wildly variable. Lewis, with um, you know a lot of speculation that. At um, Walkinshaw, we'll be running three at best next year. Not nowhere near four, as they've been saying for most of the year. Yeah, that that seems like the uh, the log- logical conclusion from um, from the way this is all playing out. And with a sponsor like Super Cheap leaving, and you know their man Tim Slade on the move, it, it kind of makes sense that perhaps they would uh, you know try to recoup some money from that wreck because. That came along when, um, or they kept that one when they downsized from four to three a couple of years ago. And it, if there's no sponsor and no driver, well, you know, there, there's a couple of takers out there that would like the wreck, and you might as well take advantage of that because, you know, Superblack's out there and desperate to get one, and uh, and, and why wouldn't PRA want to help them snap that up because they've got the model sorted right now across the four cars. It sounds like uh, Chris Pither is, is making a lot of noise at Superblack to help fund that, that drive if he gets it. So it, it seems to be that they're going to be on the grid, and... There aren't many other wrecks available that, that anyone's considered. Perhaps there's that third BJR one, but Jason Bright's got a stake in that as well, and he looks like he's going to stick around at BJR. So there's a couple of opportunities, and, and one that's also been mooted lately is that Erebus could perhaps, you know, jettison one of theirs, and uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with that because that would be a strange kind of twist from their first season of three cars down to one within a couple of seasons, and it just seems a bit unlikely at the moment. And it would put a lot of pressure on on Walkinshaw performance if that was to happen, Ben, because they're, you know, they're, they're struggling to fund three cars. If they then have to fund four, it becomes very expensive. But, I mean, the other car is, is Charlie's entry and, and it's his job to fund that and and he brings the licence. So um, he, he's indicated he's going to go around again. Um, there's, there's no talk that that won't change. So... Um, that's that's where it is. Um, it, I think what what I what I don't think is going to happen is that we might have a clearer picture by the time we get to Sydney. <laughs> you know, it, it might be something that's going to drag on over the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we'll all be having the opportunity to speculate on it. That's for sure. A break, and then a final thought or observation next on Inside Supercars. <laughs> Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. I've almost made it through the show. Ben Beasley, a final thought or observation? I just think uh, next week in New Zealand is going to be very interesting. Will Pro Drive really come back to form? Will Winterbottom be back on it? 
back into the focus being totally on him, him setting up the car. Um, will um, the six cars pace improve and, and you know, and also Reynolds? Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Pukekohe hasn't been great for Triple Eight in the last few years, but, you know, do you look at where their last few years, a um, couple of years' um, performance at that track, or do you look at what they've been doing lately in the championship this year? And you got to say, you got to look at uh, where the momentum is right now, and that's Triple Eight have got really good pace. So um, uh, Pro Drive, obviously Frosty's keen to strike back and Frosty's also keen to try to wrap the whole deal up before he gets to Sydney. He, he's really said he doesn't want it to come down to the final race. He said that might be nice from a championship point of view, but from a personal point of view, he'd love to go to Sydney with an unassailable lead. So, you know, it is going to be really interesting if they can strike back next week in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, although News Limited's got Craig Lowndes and pushing the Craig Lowndes in the championship fight, I don't think we're going to see um, a battle for the uh, championship lead. But now I've put that out there, I'll stand to be corrected. Your final thought or observation, Lewis Isaacs? Yeah, I'm going to put my money on a winner bottom at Pukukoi next weekend. Um, the last few years there, he's been quite quick. I think it was 2013, he had a couple of delaminations, which kind of cost him, but Last season, that was the round where he took the championship lead and kind of um, really built a bit of momentum and, and going there at this time of year, which is, you know, it was April last year, I believe. Um, so in November, the weather should be a little bit nicer for us, which is great. And, uh, you know, it's one of those tracks and situations where there's the, uh, the series of short races, so they're going to be qualifying ones. And, and Winterbottom's the guy who's really kind of picked up his qualifying this year. A lot of that's probably got to do with the car, but... You know, once he's at the front of the field, he generally stays there. And so uh, he's my uh, my tip for, for this weekend or next weekend. It's, it's not exactly a bold prediction, but uh, I think this is the one where he kind of cements his title because he bounced back from Sydney Motorsport Park and won sand down. Who's to say he can't do the same from the Gold Coast? Mm, well, it's going to be interesting to watch that. Thanks very much for your time, Lewis Isaacs. Always a pleasure. And Ben Beasley. Go and, go and gargle something, Craig. That's it. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.